Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Greetings, and welcome to New Books and Public Policy, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. My name is Manuel Arredondo. I am thrilled to be your host today. I'm thrilled because I have the chance to speak with Dr. Sandro Galea about his new book, Well, What We Need to Talk About When We Talk About Health. Well was published in 2019 by the Oxford University Press. And in Well, Dr. Galea argues that Americans think about the wrong things when they think about health. He thinks that there's an overall overemphasis in the idea of medicine and health as a commodity that can be bought or served, and thinks that by expanding our view of the determinants and sometimes the determinants of the determinants of health, we can actually improve our nation's understanding of what it means to be healthy and how making health a priority in everything we do can usher enlightenment across American life and politics. Dr. Galea, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you. Um, you have had a fascinating career. You're currently Dean and Robert A. Knox Professor at the Boston University School of Public Health. And I've also heard you describe this book well as something that was really decades in the making in terms of the experiences you've collected both professionally and personally throughout your life. Do you mind, I wonder, could we start with just a little bit of your background in terms of your life experiences that you think were really significant in your decision to write this book? Yeah, so, you know, so I, I, um, I suppose it depends how far back I go, but um, I, uh, as I say in the preface of the book, I um, was born in uh, Malta, which is a small southern European island, and uh, I immigrated to Canada uh, to go to, um, at the end of high school, just before university, and I did my uh, medical school training in Canada, and uh, then I practiced medicine in northern Canada for a while, and then all over the world. I was practicing medicine in um, some rural and remote parts of parts of the world. And I was practicing medicine in Somalia, where I was the only doctor in a large region for a lot of people. And it was there that I, um, I suppose, I had a bit of an awakening where I thought, this is um, a, um, I'm doing a lot of good, a lot of good medically, and I am... Uh, helping individuals, but really, I am um, not doing anything to help change the foundations that create health. I, I often use the metaphor of uh, being on the side of the river, pulling people out of the river one after another after another, but never stopping to think, what is it that uh, is throwing them in the river to begin with? So I decided I needed to learn that, I need to understand that. And I decided to do that, I need to go back to school, and I did. So I went back to school, and uh, I... Um, went and uh, got a uh, Master of Public Health, and then I kept going to get a doctorate. And then my career, my academic career, has been, since then, a um, one of real deep concern with social causes, with how the world around us, social economic factors, shape our health. And I've been particularly interested in uh, how that affects our well-being. And the book, you know, I've said it took me 20 years to write this book because... Um, it really is a set of reflections that have emerged 
from a lot of thinking over the past two decades of my academic career. And uh, in, in that respect, the book is a culmination of all those thoughts. That's well, very interesting. And I think it's it's really powerful, the idea of sort of your your experiences doing direct medical services, really inspiring and informing your later work um, in terms of research and policy advocacy. I, I wonder, I think our listeners would be really interested if you'd be willing to share a little bit more about your experience in Somalia, specifically what kind of conditions you were working under. And if there were, I don't know, my experience in public health is sometimes specific encounters or specific moments really stick with us. I wonder, is there anything that you would share from your experience there? Yeah, so, you know, in Somalia, I was, I was working with uh, Medicine Sans Frontier, Dr. Top Waters, and uh, I was a physician in the uh, Muduk region of Somalia, which is um, in um, sort of northeast Somalia. It's uh, it's where uh, towns like Belkayo uh, um, uh, are, um, and uh, these are it's where the movie Captain Phillips was uh, was uh, situated roughly, and uh, you know I was uh, I was a doctor and uh, dealing with um, what comes in through the door in, uh, in the hospital and uh, doing uh, minor surgical procedures or medical procedures, medical procedures, dispensing medication, treating patients, and it was very much what I was trained to do. Remember, I had gone to Somalia after having worked in uh, I had worked in northern Canada, so I was actually a uh, a physician to um, um, already trained well to be in fairly rural, remote situations. So, in many respects, I was the doctor doing what I had been trained to do by the system. I was very grateful for that, and I was giving back, and I, I enjoyed it very much, and I learned very much, and I emerged with a, a deep, deep humility about my role and what I can actually do to uh, help people. So, it was in some respects an unexpected turn that uh, my mind went to asking these more fundamental questions. Well, why is it that people are sick? And I realized that once I left, once I left, nothing was really going to get better. I mean, obviously I will have helped people, I will have helped individuals, but nothing was going to get better because I wasn't changing anything fundamental and I wanted to learn that. So that's that's really how Somalia ties in with the rest of my life. It's really powerful. I mean, I'm really touched by the idea of the humility you experienced especially because humility is actually one of the factors that, that you consider in terms of determinants of health and well. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll have a chance to touch base about that. I'm really curious to ask more about that. Um, but my, I was wondering just in terms of your decision to write well when you did and if there were says, sort of a certain target audience that you were hoping to get this message to at the moment that you did. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a good question. I'm always, I'm always struggling with that question, to be honest. Um, uh, were there, was there a certain audience? Um, there was and there wasn't. I, you know, the book was written for a general audience intentionally. It was actually my first book that I've written for a general audience. I've written um, um, more than a dozen other books, but they're scientific books, and this was written for a general audience. And my hope is that um, um, it's, it reaches both people in positions of authority, people who um, have the capacity to make changes that influence health, but also that it um, influences the general public, that it's actually read by the general public. And I, um, because I think that is important, I think it's an important um, way of changing the public health conversation. Oh, that's interesting. And that's actually kind of a nice segue to talking a little bit about the structure of the book. 
because I think one sort of one framework to view it from is there's this sort of balance between sort of macro level things like power and politics, um, things that can can influence the, the health of the public. And then there's also these really amazing chapters about sort of more internal things like humility and love and compassion. And um, I was wondering, in terms of the structure of the book, so so basically the book is really, it's it's been called readable in every single interview and every single review that I've read of it. I'm not going, I would, I would agree, but I'm not going to put you through that, um, <laughs> that same feedback again. I would say that um, just to describe a little bit for our audience, it's, it's really broken down into sort of 20 sort of really neat chapters. And for a book that's about 200 and 200 and some pages, that really comes down to these sort of 10 to 12 page, really nicely packaged units that each touch on a specific theme. Um, how did you how did you go about selecting the 20? How did you would, do you mind just describing what did was it whittling down or was it an expansive process or yeah, how did a, you end up with the it's a good question. It's um it was perhaps a whittling down. I mean, you know, obviously there could have been many more chapters, but I, I specifically wanted it to be short. I uh, I have a an understanding that everybody is busy and that um, I have a theory that people don't don't actually read long books. And um I, uh, I like the number 20. I mean, why 20, not 19 or 21? Because, you know, 20 sounds better. Um, um, and, uh, but it really was a set of ideas that had been germinating. And I had done a number of essays that um, eventually became this book. And uh, they, uh, you know, modified it. And having written a number of essays on a number of these issues, um, I had a sense of which ones were resonating. And uh, I, um, it, in a, uh, that, that helped me take what could be a universe of a hundred um, uh, topics into and reduce it into something much more manageable. So I'm not sure that there was a um, any particular method to them other than a recognition that this is um, this is an important set of issues that we need to be talking about when we talk about health, which is of course the subtitle. I mean, an interesting story, of course, on the title is that the book. My intention behind the book is that the book would be called What We Need to Talk About When We Talk About Health, which was the subtitle. The publisher wisely perhaps said that you know, it's a very long subtitle and you probably need a, a short title. And the publisher suggested well as a title to add to it. But uh, in my mind, this book is very much what we need to talk about when we talk about health. And then and I think that there's a lot of different conversations that can be started from this book. And sort of going back to our to sort of the idea of there being some sort of macro level sort of systems issues that could discuss and also some sort of internal sort of issues of self-growth. Um, what do you think in terms of you mentioned hoping that people in positions of power would read this book? What would you hope that they would come away from from reading it? Um, it's a good question. I think I suppose I come down to um, uh, that uh, I would like. People who have, who are in a place to make change, recognize that um, we should move beyond our current secure system to a health system. And uh, moving to a health system means moving means moving to investing in fostering the preventive conditions of health, and that means fostering and investing in. Safe houses, good schools, and livable wages, and uh, gender equity, and clean air, drinkable water, and fair economy. And these are all the conditions that ultimately 
shape health. And in terms of folks who maybe aren't in a position of power, folks who maybe can only work on what they can control in their, maybe not even that much, but have some um, sort of authority over their decisions or their... Well, I think, I, think, I think we have to remember that anybody who's in a position of power, anybody who's in a position of authority, ultimately that authority is derived from the people around them, from the people who are in their environment. And uh, so I think we all have power and authority in our and uh, ultimately we can all contribute to changing the conversation. Wow. Yeah. And I think it's really powerful. Some of the passages that really apply to what can we do in terms of things like humility, compassion, love. Um, I would share with you, I'm a clinical social worker. And so for, for my practice, it definitely felt really powerful to see how perhaps those kinds of things um, at this at this point are sort of a privilege or some folks don't necessarily have the same access to practice altruism or to experience um, moments of love or compassion. Um, do you think that's a little bit of an overreading? I mean, do you feel like that at that point, um, the idea of treating compassion as something that's only accessible to those who are in a position to share compassion and i.e. aren't in an active state of survival or fear or suffering. Do you, I was curious to get your feedback on my thinking in terms of interpreting those chapters and whether or not they're things that can be universally accessible to all, or if they're also sort of things that are, there's inequities and there's disparities in. Yeah, no, I think it's a excellent question. It's a really good question you're asking. I, uh, I think, um, you know, somebody said to me that the book, well, is, deals almost with meta-determinants. You know, it's almost with a philosophical foundations of health. In fact, one of the, one of the working titles that uh, we had played with around well, was sort of it's a practical philosophy for health. And uh, that obviously is uh, not a particularly appealing title, so we didn't use that. But um, the, it is ultimately intended to be a meditation, as, as, as I say in the introduction. It's a meditation on the forces that uh, shape health. It is, it is a, a set of reflections. And um, in, insofar as... Uh, Humility is, in, is one of those uh, reflections that's important to have insofar as, uh, as um, wisdom is something that's important to reflect on, so far as love and hate are important to reflect on, who are trying to reflect on all these forces. And I'm curious, do you think there's a way to connect those things? As in, I mean, is there a way to have policies that specifically promote things like generosity and compassion and... Um, Sort of healthy states of mind. You know, I suppose. I suppose at the core, I'm trying to get people to think about health differently. Now, how many people? How many of your listeners, when they think about health, think about love? How many people? How many of your listeners, when they think about health, think about place? How many people, when they think about health, think about compassion? And I'm trying to say, you cannot think about health without thinking about love, place, compassion. I don't think you can think about health without thinking about. Um, Community, without thinking about justice, without thinking about um, acceptance, thinking about tolerance. These are core parts of health. So I'm trying to change how we think about health. Well, I definitely think those some of those those are some of the most powerful passages. And you know, I really of all the of all the quotes you got um, in terms of um, you know com, um, 
you know, I really appreciated Rosalind Carter's comment in terms of the former first lady, in terms of just recognizing how these principles can even be more beneficial than scientific discoveries or advancements in technology. I think, um, they, you know, I think they are. I think they are. And I think they are um, for both conceptual reasons and for empiric reasons. It's, um, you know, our fascination with science and technology, which I, I worry about saying this because I worry that uh, it's, um, that, that what I'm saying is it, it, it almost sounds Luddite of me, and it's really not. I'm a big fan of technology. And, um, but I think technology is not going to solve the fundamental, the fundamental determinants of health. It really, it really is not. And uh, I think technology creates opportunity. It's an opportunity for discovery science. It's an opportunity for us to do things that are creative. But uh, it, is, uh, it is not going to um, be a, a, a one-all solution, as sometimes we think it is. So, I'm curious, are you aware of any any applications of technology or sort of medical advancements that you think do address some of the issues and well or show promise in terms of sort of supporting the idea of a, a, a shift in thinking? Um, I, I think there are pockets, many pockets, where people actually live these values. I, I don't think, I'm, I suppose in some respects, I, I have the humility to know that, um, that, that I'm not saying anything, perhaps one of the... Um, biggest compliments I've been paid about this book is when people say, you know, well, isn't what you're saying obvious? And I like that. I really do. Because that means that, um, 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 you know, that, 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 that means that I am striking a nerve, that people are reading this and saying, I understand this. I get this. And um, I want that. It's a, I, I think if we get it, if you get it, I get it, if your readers get it, then together, we can change this. Then together we can change the conversation on health. I would like to, when when we're sitting around our dinner tables and talking about health, no, we're not just talking about our doctor, we're talking about compassion. When we're sitting around our dinner table talking about health, we should be talking about, about what it is that ultimately we need to do to promote health. Well, I think that is really an impressive part about the experience of reading this book. And I think one of the devices that you use that makes it feel obvious or makes it feel so common sense is some of the vignettes that you use to sort of paint the picture of how over the lifespan various factors or the the factors spelled out in well can really influence basically how and when someone dies. Um, do you mind? I, I think it's one of the most enjoyable parts of reading, so I would encourage you not to spoil too many of the details, but do you mind just talking about what the reader will experience in terms of how you use vignettes to paint the picture of, of the principles? The uh, well, let me tell you one vignette, maybe. Um, uh, and is the vignette around the um, life of Blind Willie Johnson? And uh, I, I tell the story and, and because I find it very useful to explain health. So, Blind Willie was born sighted, he was uh, he was born in uh, Texas at the turn of the 20th century. He became blind at age seven, and uh, his stepmother threw a lie at his face in a domestic violence incident. And so, he grew up poor and blind and black in Texas. In the early 20th century, he got married and uh, his house burned down. And him and his wife didn't have any money, so they actually went back and lived in the burnt-out shell of their house. And in his 40s, Blind Willie got uh, malaria. Now, this is Texas in the 1940s. Malaria is not that uncommon. There's nothing pretty uncommon about that. But uh, his wife took him to hospital because of the story, and he was turned away from hospital. And then Blind Willie died. And the question I always ask listeners is, well, what killed Blind Willie Johnson? And the answer is obviously malaria. Malaria killed Blind Willie Johnson. That was his disease, and had he had treatment for his malaria, he would have lived. But the reason I tell the story is because it's obvious it wasn't malaria that killed Blind Willie Johnson. 
it was poverty, it was racism, it was domestic violence, it was homelessness, it was limited access to care. Those are the forces that kill one individuals. And our investment in healthcare is all about our investment in malaria. And I think I tell the story because it's clear to any listener that if we put all our money in malaria, we're never going to save Lyme Valley Johnson. We, we, it doesn't mean we don't want money in malaria. It just means that we need to deal with all the other factors. And the book really is about those other factors. The book is about the other factors that should help. It is such an outstanding example. It just it really demonstrates and illuminates exactly what um, what you're saying. And I just think it's, it's it'd be vital as a case study in, in so many academic environments, Blind Willie Johnson. Um, I think another thing that is really, really helpful in terms of just how easy it is and how enjoyable it is to read this book is the use of references to literature and to pop culture. Um, do you mind saying a little bit about how you drew on outside sources to sort of make this book really, really jump off the page for folks who maybe don't have a background strictly in policy or in health? Yeah, the, um, I mean, the, the book really is intended to be for everybody. I don't think you need a background in health. I mean, you need a background in policy at all to understand it because we are all human and we all care about our health. So the book is, uh, I suppose, the prerequisite to reading the book is being, um, being human and uh, caring about being healthy. Great. And I'm curious, in terms of next next steps, are, are there anything you're working on or do you feel like well points in the direction of any sort of future, any need for future research? Or I think there's enormous need for future research. I mean, there's research about, uh, about how, how the conditions of the world around us shape our health and research about, about how it is that we can change the conversation on health. And I think it's not just research, but it's also translating that research. Um, uh, and, uh, and taking that research and taking it up to scale and shifting our lens of vision from one of medicine to one of thinking of the health populations. And are there any particular models or programs you think should be, we should be investing in specifically or things that you'd advocate for in 2020? I, uh, I would advocate for a wholesale rethinking of how we think about health. I would advocate for us understanding that to generate health, we need to care about the world around us. We need to, to care about everything in the world around us, from uh, housing to schools to opportunities for recreation to the conditions of our workplace to our interpersonal relations and to all the fundamental conditions that she helped. That's very interesting. So are there, are there though, in, in, in terms of in, at any level, federal, state, local, are you aware of any particular initiatives that you think our readers should be aware of or that you think speak to some of the, the influence of well? Well, I think there are initiatives all the time, to be honest. I think uh, I think every single time that we hear about initiatives around uh, housing, around transportation, around social policy, around uh, our economy, these factors all matter for health. Um, uh, legislation policy that um, pertains to gender equity and to uh, whether or not uh, there is uh, paid maternal leave, to minimum wages, these are all the conditions that ultimately shape health. I really appreciate um, you sharing your thoughts about the future, because I think a lot of us are in that mindset where we're trying to figure out, are the trends going to continue to get worse or trends going to continue to improve? Um, I'm curious, I was going to ask you about one specific um, public health intervention, harm reduction. And if you think that is something that potentially has promise in terms of um, transforming the way people think about health. I think there are many ideas that can help transform the way we think about health, and I think that's one of them. And I think that, that's something where our science is misaligned with our values, and uh, we need to align our values to make sure that we do what's right by our health, 
even if it's not something that comes naturally or easily to us. Great. Well, I've taken up enough of your time. I really do appreciate you taking the, the, the time to write this lovely book and also to share a little bit more about it with our listeners. Um, Dr. Galea, I hope you have a lovely rest of your evening and thank you again. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for, uh, for uh, engaging this conversation.